Condescend to us, Lord. Give us truth, Father, for our growth, for our transformation. May we be made more like Christ because of our encounter with you in this text today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, boys and girls, make sure you have your uh, children's bulletin. Hard to miss this morning, bright orange. You have your own translation in there. I want to make sure you can follow along, and you also have a place where you can uh, ask your parents, or you can ask me or uh, Pastor John Mark your, your questions. And please, please put your name on those if you ask us, though, because, again, we don't know how to answer you if you don't. <clears throat> so as we get into this text today, I kind of want to get your mind into where this text is going to take us today. I want you to think about that feeling, that feeling of everything is back as it should be, and I can breathe again. That feeling that we all know of, oh, it all worked out. It's going to be okay. I'm all right. That's a very powerful feeling. And the disruption of that feeling is such a powerful fear in our culture. I mean, think about how many television shows, movies, or modern books are about the loss of that feeling and trying to get it back. I mean, how many stories do modern people create that's about an unlikely hero cast into this role to do something major, and he's not doing it for some big overarching theme of justice or truth. He's doing it because he wants to get his nice, peaceful life back. We can all relate to that. Our lives may not be quite so theatrical, but when our peace is disrupted, when we suddenly find ourselves unsure about where we stand, or how our loved ones are doing, we have stress, don't we? We have anxiety. And such stress and anxiety doesn't usually get better until the situation is fixed. And we can ah, relax and be at peace again, finally. Because Christians have stress, right? Right? Okay, this means yes. Okay, there we go. Christians have stress. And, and we're in this unique situation where, as heavenly citizens that Paul's been telling us about, the peace we long for is actually yet to come. Our hope is kind of cast out there. And so we can't really get it back and relax. We have to believe in it and try to relax. And so it always remains out of reach in this life. And so we're actually more prone to fear and anxiety because we can't quite grasp onto it yet. In our passage today, Paul's going to deal with that reality. That he sees that God promises peace, but he also promises us his presence to get us there. Today we're going to look at um, <clears throat> two verses that are very well-known, very famous. Outside of John 3.16, most of you, even if you don't know the address, have heard or memorized or at least can kind of get the gist of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. In fact, if you're ever having a stressed out day and you talk to a fellow Christian, sometimes helpfully, sometimes quite unhelpfully, they might throw this verse up into your face. But sometimes when we memorize a verse, we actually miss a verse. And so we're going to dig into these two verses and we're also going to grab verse 8 and 9 because they go with them. And people don't usually memorize verse 8 and 9. And so putting those together, we're going to see how God has given us this recipe to help get rid of the stress and anxiety in our life. So let's remember where we've been since Paul writes these things as a, as a letter. We're in a context here. So far, Philippians has taught us that God's people, saved by grace, are to 
chase after the Christ who has saved them. That now that he saved us by grace, he's called us to pursue Christ in a robust, energetic, vibrant Christian life, which can be very difficult for us Presbyterians to do. We're not big into robust vitality to things that don't involve jerseys and scores, I know. But we can try, right, to really pursue after Christ with gusto, is what Paul is telling us. To know more of Christ in this life, to create a passion now, to live as the heavenly citizens we are, so that the gospel can advance. And as we stand firm, we saw last week in that passion for Jesus, we're going to have difficulties, we're going to have opposition, and they will cause us either to give up and to just cherish the things of the world or we will rejoice in our great God here and now in spite of the circumstances so those are the choice he gave us last week but God doesn't come and say well you better just grin and bear it under the onslaught of difficulties it's natural that we get concerned it's natural that we might get stressed or have anxiety and so getting out of that anxiety dealing with anxiety is what this passage is about today So in the real world of Monday through Saturday, how do we move from anxiety to peace? That's what we're going to talk about today. So would you please look with me at God's Word, Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So if we could sum up where we're going to go today, if I could give you one sentence to tell you what's going to happen today, it's here's where we're going to go. You can remember this maybe at lunch when you're talking about the sermon. Since worry is a bully, God's peace guards us if we practice what's been preached. See, God sends his peace and it guards us actually, through prayer, through, through meditation, through imitation, but he does that only in Christ. So let's look into that. First, God's peace guards us through prayer. If you remember last week, or if you weren't here last week, right before this passage, Paul has told them to make their humility famous. He's told them that Christians should be so reasonable and gentle and humble that people are like, when they hear about Christians, their first shot thought should be, man, those people are crazy humble. Those people let you walk all over them because they believe in Jesus. Those people are so nice and so gentle. They just don't fight back, which is, of course, what Christians are known for today. So we've really done this. So Paul says, now, based on that, it's not easy, is it, actually? We're not known for that, are we? And so to help us out, Paul says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. The Lord is with them, and the Lord is returning soon. And so because of that, because we know He's near and He's close, we can follow these instructions. We can, we can buck up under this pressure to be humble, to be gentle. 
He's telling them and He's telling us, even as friends, even as the government perhaps pressures you as a Christian, we can still be reasonable. We can be humbly willing to give up personal rights for the gospel because Christ is coming back to fix it all. With that hope set before us, if Christ is going to fix it one day, he says you can give up your rights now for Christ because he's going to make it better then. And so based in that hope, Paul then says the famous instruction. Look with me at verse 6. He says what? He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now that's not just Paul saying stop it. So often this verse is used as someone's like really stressed out and instead of actually helping them deal with their stress, but do not be anxious about anything. Good thing I don't need that, right? See, Paul's not saying that. He's actually giving you an alternative to anxiety. He says, what is the alternative? Look with me at verse 7. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. See, he presents God's peace here as a bodyguard, as something active. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. It's the biblical idea of wholeness, of having everything together. It's the idea of, oh, it's going to be okay. That's peace in the biblical sense. And he's saying, that's what God puts in your heart so you can be content. And so the peace he gives is peace that's a bodyguard. Now, if you remember, let me remind you, Paul has talked about before the peace of Rome, what scholars call the Pax Romana. If you remember, I tried to to help you realize this because we live in a time of peace and so we don't get it. When Rome established itself, when Caesar Augustus established the Roman Empire and just stopped the chaos, the infighting, the, the big civil war and ushered in a time of peace, it was a historical miracle. For most of human history, we have not lived in peace. For most of human history, you've recognized that my neighbor's very nice to me, but if I show any weakness, he will kill me and take my stuff. That's human history. Whether you like it or not, that's real. And so the peace of Rome where you didn't have to worry about that, you didn't have to guard your front door, you could do commerce and you could do philosophy and you could expand human culture like Rome did, that was a miracle. And that peace was enforced. It wasn't just because Caesar Augustus made everybody better. It's because he had an army that was under his control that said, there will be peace. And if you break the peace, we break you. And so people said, yes, sir. And there was peace. It was enforced. It's actively enforced. It doesn't just happen. You and I, because we're modern and we're humanists and we tend to think people are good on the inside and culture is always getting better, we think peace is passive. That if we just give people enough education and give them enough resources, there'll be peace because people deep down are good and want to be happy. And that's not historically accurate. Peace has to be enforced. It has to be protected by power. And that's what God offers here in verse 7. God offers His peace as an enforcer, as a bodyguard against anxiety. Paul tells us, look, God is near, therefore take your anxiety to Him, and He will give you the guard of peace. He will enforce peace in your life. So we're to take it to Him. In other words, what's the rest of the verse? Look with me at verse 6 and 7. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to, in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
See, anxiety is an invader in the Christian life, is what Paul's setting up here. It's a bully who picks on you. And if you'll allow me to stretch the metaphor Paul is using, the peace of God comes in answer to prayer. It attacks this invader of anxiety, it slays it, and it drives it out of our life. Peace is a bodyguard. So how do we get this powerful bodyguard? Through prayer. I know. That's it, Pastor Sean. Seriously? Have you seen my checkbook and how much month is left? And you're telling me to get rid of this stress? I just got to pray? I thought you said the Bible had real answers. I know what you're thinking. I know, but follow me here. In Philippi, peace has been off its guard, so to speak. And thus, there's been a lack of unity and conflict in the church. Because they haven't been behaving and living like citizens of heaven. They've been cherishing the things of earth. And so they haven't been standing firm in Christ. They haven't been taking everything to God in prayer. They've been trying to make the Christian life and their life work on their own power. And so they haven't tapped into God's power. And so they have no peace. And so Paul comes back and says, look, people, this is a football. You need to get back to basics. Prayer. You want to have a better, less stressed out life. Step one prayer. It's so simple. Will they, will we believe it? Or do we want something more complicated? Because God says, take your anxiety to me in prayer, and then God sends his peace guard to drain that sludge of anxiety out of your life and out of the church. See, it's not worry and anxiety that are the problems. Everybody's going to have worries. Everybody's going to have anxieties. It's not taking the anxieties to God in prayer. That's the problem. Boys and girls, I want you to understand what Pastor Sean's talking about here. He uses the big words like anxiety and stuff. So look with me at your verses 5 and 7. Here's what Paul is trying to tell this church. He says this, Since the Lord is next to us, don't worry about anything. Instead, Pray to our close God. Thankfully, ask Him to help you, and His peace will guard you from the bully of worry. God will make you feel safe in Jesus. See, boys and girls, what Paul promises here is that when you're worried, when you're afraid, when you're stressed out, if you'll just take that to God and say, God, this scares me, God promises to make you feel safe. What a great promise. I hope you believe that, boys and girls. I hope you do that. Take your fears to God. Because I can tell you what, boys and girls and adults, that your session believes this. Your session is committed to this idea. As I told you before, we were talking about officer nominations. Week in and week out, what your elders do more than anything else is pray. If you look at our time on task, we don't administer. We don't even visit as much as we, we pray every day week your elders get together and pray specifically for you by name and we pray for this church and what's so great i'm not telling you that to brag i'm telling you that because god has answered there has been such peace and unity here god's promises are true and you can have peace in your life too if you believe his promises and go to him and take your anxiety so do you want peace do you want to be free from anxiety really It starts with honest, earnest prayer, full of thanksgiving. Telling God what's stressing you out and asking His peace to to beat up those worries and drive them out of your life, really. 
So take your checkbook that has way too little and your calendar that has way too much left until the next payday, put them together and say, this stresses me out a lot. Help. And he will answer that. Try it. That's all Paul's saying here. Because since worry is a bully, God's peace guards us if we practice what's been preached. Okay, so peace guards us through prayer. Peace also guards us through meditation, he says. Okay, now I'm not talking about like, okay, Pastor Sean's going to become a Buddhist. No, I'm not saying that. Beginning with verse 8, the ESV kind of has a rare miss here when it translates the beginning of verse 8, finally. Paul's not changing the subject. He's actually continuing the thought. And so it's better translated as hereafter. So with that in mind, look with me at verse 8. Paul says this. It says, hereafter, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, it's pretty simple. Here's what Paul is saying. All this stuff in your life stresses you out. You're dwelling on it. It's causing you stress. Instead of doing that, take it to God in prayer. He brings his peace, or while he's bringing his peace, stop thinking about him. Think about these things. Just say, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about this. I'm not going to think about how my baby girl who's at college by herself now, she's not in my house anymore, what's she going to do? What's going to happen? Is she going to make good decisions? God is good. God is holy. God has promised to be with my children. God has said he's never leaving me and forsaken me. I'm going to think about that. But a new company just bought the plant, and wh- yeah, they say everything's going to be fine, but yeah, what if they're just going to see who's really valuable and like in a year have massive layoffs? Lord, would you please help me trust you for my job? Would you please help me trust you for my job? You said you'll take care of me. You said you'll never leave me, never forsake me. You just stop thinking about it. We, sometimes we have to help ourselves, right? How many times do you pray for something to get rid of stress, and then you don't let it go either? Just sit there and dwell. Paul says, okay, do not be anxious about anything. Take it to prayer and then think about something else. Don't you love how practical the Bible is? It's almost like it was written by people, to people, about people. Because this is how people act, right? Quit dwelling on the what ifs and your fears and think about good stuff instead. Now, this list, I'm not, we are not going to spend the next time picking apart every one of these little words, whether it's true, honorable. We're not going to go through that. It's a big list meant to kind of be all-inclusive. I'd like to think about it. When you read verse 8, you know it when you see it, right? It's just a matter of, yeah, I don't want to dwell on that right now. I'd rather dwell on this. It's, it's not a matter of us not understanding. It's a matter of us not wanting to. So we, we know verse 8 when we see it. Paul gives practical instructions on how to be a heavenly citizen, how to rejoice in the Lord, how to, how to be known for being reasonable and humble and gentle is by letting your mind and your heart rest on these things. You see, this is very practical because what Paul does here, he actually takes a common list from Greek culture of what it meant to be a good citizen in Greek culture, to be a good person. This list was actually all over the place. Students learned this list, and he takes that, and he says, here's what the pagans say is what it means to be a good person and a good citizen. And you know what? This is not bad. Why don't you do that? 
You see, I love how Paul says, you know what? Y'all are going to live in a culture Monday through Saturday. And so why don't you look around at the culture you're in, and if there's something good and true and noble and beautiful that lifts your heart, think about that. You don't always have to think about the Bible. Think about that. You saw, you just heard the great poem, okay. You just heard this cool song on the radio, lifted your, think about this song. You just read something, okay. You just met someone, okay. Don't you love how Paul says, look, you're a whole person, and as a whole person, you're going to live in this world, and there are going to be things you encounter that are good and true and noble and beautiful. Dwell on those. That's okay. Culture is not all bad. Culture has some good things in it, and part of being a reasonable, gentle Christian is that Christians are supposed to be thinkers and participants in culture, not withdrawn and reactionary to culture. This past Sunday night when we had our evangelism seminar, I I gave the example of sharing the gospel to someone who didn't know anything about the Bible but who'd read Harry Potter. And we took them right through sin, redemption, atonement, resurrection, everything, all using quotes from Harry Potter. C.S. Lewis did this in World War II. He was asked by the BBC, can you imagine this happening today? C.S. Lewis was asked by the BBC during the darkest parts of World War II, we think it would uplift our entire country under the Blitz if you would get on and talk about Christianity. Whatever you want to say, just talk about Christianity on the radio. And so C.S. Lewis used this as an opportunity. He took the idea of right and wrong in the legal sense and how Britain in their culture, like we know right, we know wrong, and we can enforce our culture on others. He took that idea and he used that as a segue to teach people about Christianity and the gospel. And he only really kind of quoted scripture towards the end. He really, he talked about philosophy and where they were. See, he's using this verse saying, look, there's good and true and reasonable stuff out here. Let's use that and dwell on that because culture is not all bad. We can use culture. We can find peace in culture by God's grace. Where culture gets it right, Paul says, dwell on those things. It's okay. But there's a warning here as well. I know some of you are like, come on, give us a caveat. There's a warning, of course. Be careful what you consume. Not all of culture's offerings are good, right? You read the list in verse 8, and you're like, you know it when you see it. And so I'm, I'm going to go there because I know many of you read it. We talked about it a couple years ago. And so since it's coming out, I'm going to go there again because I'm your pastor and I love you. If you see Fifty Shades of Grey, you will have done the exact opposite of verse 8. You will have anxious thoughts in your head. And you should. Because if you go and see that movie, there should be a, a big part of your heart that says, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Yeah, I said it. You should doubt your salvation when you engage in things that absolutely everybody knows are not verse 8 at all, and you still choose to dwell and go and consume and imbibe and cherish and talk about. That's why you have stress. In case you think I'm going over the top, I know. Let me quote you a man who's now with the Lord, a former seminary professor of mine named Dr. Knox Chamblin. Here's how he said it. He said, a person who aspires to grow in holiness yet feeds on a steady diet of R-rated movies can expect to be anxious. Or if that's too advanced for you, think Sesame Street. One of these is not like the other. Can you tell me which one? Again, we all know it when we see it, right? And when we do it, we're going to feel guilty and anxious because we know we shouldn't. 
See, that's what verse 8 is getting at. If we let what is false, dishonest, filthy, ugly into our hearts and minds, we're inviting anxiety in. Remember the metaphor Paul sets up. God's peace comes through a garrison of soldiers who keep anxiety out. Dwelling on those ugly, nasty, sinful things lowers the drawbridge, opens the gates, and invites the armies of anxiety to come on in. And they overwhelm our peace. But it's not just the R-rated stuff. That would be too easy. It's not limited to what we watch on media or do. This applies to patterns of thought. This applies to political philosophies and ideologies that we live by, the value systems of culture. We can be violating verse 8 and have anxiety in our life, not just from watching our movies. I mean, the way we think about our money, the way we think about our free time, the way we think about our country, all of those should come under the guidance of verse 8. Is it true and good and noble? Like, for instance, when you're looking at the prospectus for that mutual fund, maybe you're going to transfer some 401 money into this one, and the numbers are great. Do you dig in and do you see if, like the last stat I read, was about 65 to 70% of all mutual funds invest in companies that in some form of another financially support abortion? Or like, oh, la, 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 good return, good return, good return. Is, is that what we do? That's not doing verse 8, is it? Because, well, this is money. I don't know. It's got a good return. I'm supposed to be a good steward. Yeah, that's it, a good steward doesn't matter where it comes from. Or this is the political party we always vote for. It doesn't matter that they've let this and this and this happen. Just, this is what we do. Or, well, of course we should say God bless America. Of course we should love our country. Yeah, they've murdered like 70 million people, but so? Yeah, we, I'm not saying be down on America. I'm saying do you just jump in and assume or do you actually step back and say, is this good, true, noble, and beautiful and should I dwell here? See, it's so easy to say, well, I just don't see R-rated movies. I'm a good Christian. It's a lot harder to think, am I really submitting every part of my life to being a follower of Christ? That's harder, isn't it? It's a lot harder. And if you find yourself having anxiety in your life, it might be because you're not really submitting your whole life to trying to reflect the true, the good, and the beautiful. But if we let our mind dwell on those things, we can have peace. God's peace guards our hearts and our minds. Verse 8 is what it looks like to have a peaceful interior life. Rather than dwelling on fears that lead to anxiety, we dwell on the noble and the good. Sinclair Ferguson uh, just retired last year as the pastor of First Pres in Columbia, and he was a seminary professor of mine, and he had this famous habit that made you very nervous. Every time he would see you, if you engaged in conversation, after you got past the uh, you know, pleasantries, he would say, so, what do you think about when you're not thinking about anything? Yeah. Exactly. Try having you know, this great godly man with like 17 PhDs ask you that. You're like, nah, I, I got to go now. You know? But that's exactly what he's getting at. He basically, he's asking, how serious is verse 8 in your life? That default thought mode. If you don't get what I'm thinking about, those few minutes before you fall asleep, when your brain finally, if you're a guy, I don't know if you're a girl, it like never kicks off. But when you're a guy and your brain kicks off, where do you go? Where does your mind land, those last few conscious thoughts? 
See, our default thought mode is the key to having God's peace in our life. We're heavenly citizens if we've been remade in Christ. We're meant for a better home. And so if our thoughts reflect that home, we have peace here. And if we're meant for that place and we have these thoughts, there's going to be an anxious conflict. When we set our minds on home, we have peace. Boys and girls, look with me at your verse 8. Here's what Paul's telling them. He says this. He says, Then, instead of thinking about the stuff that scares you, think about the true, the clean, the good stuff that reminds you of Jesus. Boys and girls, would you like to know a secret? Mom and dad know this already. This is why you can't watch certain shows. This is why they cover your eyes during parts of movies. This is why they limit, hopefully parents limit, where you can go on the internet. Because they know that if you put garbage in here, garbage gets in here and garbage comes out here and here. And so they try to stop the garbage going in. And sometimes mom and dad forget that they got to stop the garbage going in them too. That's what Paul's saying. Because see, Paul tells all of us Christians the kind of people we are in everyday life, Monday through Saturday, is determined by what we put in our head and heart. We all know that. It's just a matter of wanting to dwell on this. Because often this stuff is not nearly as exciting and titillating as the nasty, the putrid, and the disgusting. But since worry is a bully, God's peace guards us. If we practice what's been preached, and he has said, dwell, meditate, let your mind rest in the good, the true, and the pure. So peace guards us through prayer, through meditation, and now he says peace guards us through imitation. Paul calls us to imitate. This is real life. Paul is practical. This is not an individual effort. This is a community, a church-wide effort. And God has given us others to imitate. The call to be like Christ is not enough. We need examples to follow, to live by. And so Paul sets forth his own life as an example of following Christ in peace. Now, it sounds arrogant to our ears, But Paul is talking about common education at the time. They didn't have college. They didn't have grad schools. They didn't have trade schools. They didn't have technical colleges. You found a master who did what you wanted to do, and you apprenticed under him for years, and you learned his craft. You imitated him. What you heard and seen and received and were taught, you then went and did. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. With that in mind, look with me what... Paul says in verse 9, he says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, Paul says, I apprenticed you in Christianity. Now go and practice the craft. Live as citizens of heaven now. Have you ever thought about Christianity being a craft that you practice? I bet that makes us uncomfortable a bit, doesn't it? Because a craft has measurable progress. A craft gets to say, yes, that's doing it. That's it. No, that's not quite right. We're more about feelings and sincerity, right? Well, he feels so, he's trying so hard. Yeah, but he's not doing well. See, biblical Christianity, hear me, is absolutely based on grace. It is absolutely not our works It is absolutely by the work of Christ alone we bring nothing to the table. But that grace that God gives us in Christ is grace that changes us. 
It makes us more like Christ. It makes us into heavenly citizens awaiting our home. There are actual, measurable changes in someone's life when they become a Christian. And when those actual, measurable, biblical changes are not there, the feelings and sincerity do not matter. If they have no fruit of grace through Jesus Christ, that person is not a Christian. And deep down, we know this is true. And that's what Paul's getting at. I mean, parents, you do realize this, even if we like to suppress this knowledge because it's difficult. Our commitment to robust daily Christianity in our family life has way more to do with our children being Christians when they're older than anything the children's ministry or Sunday school or this pulpit does. And deep down, you know it's true. Our children will imitate what they see and hear and are taught and receive because that's what humans do. And so Paul says, you're part of a great church. You have mature Christians all around you. Imitate them. Find perhaps older, sometimes it's younger, more mature Christians and imitate them. And this is for everybody. There's a particular man in this church, and John Mark and I have a standing joke that several situations have popped up. He's handled it so well that John Mark and I, as professional Christians, ministers, we joke, we want to be like him when we grow up. So everybody has someone they should imitate. God has put those as part of our community, and it's okay that I want to be a Christian like that. That's what Paul is saying. We must all practice what we've been preached to have peace. And sometimes we have to do that by imitating others. But that's okay because peace guards us through imitation. And then finally, peace guards us in Christ. Paul has uh, given them quite a to-do list, if you think about it. And verse 9 ends the to-dos with the promise of God's actual presence. He doesn't just shoot for the benefits of God's peace. Did you notice that? He promises the peace of God in verse 6, or verse 7, excuse me. I mean, how does he end in verse 9 with the promise of the God of peace. So you go from a benefit to a person. If we do all this stuff, you get the actual person of God. Now when I say it like that, don't despair. When you hear this call, if you do this, then God will come. I know we mean like, oh, forget it. We're called to do all this what? In Christ. Look back over this passage with me. The end of verse 5, he says, the Lord is near. He doesn't say God is near. He says the Lord is near. And whenever in the New Testament you see L, little O-R-D, it's Jesus they're referring to. So he's saying Jesus or Christ is near. He's with you. He's coming. He empowers you. Verse 7 speaks about us having peace in Christ. See, instead of a garrison of soldiers guarding the peace at Philippi, which they saw, which many of their members... Remember the Philippian jailer? Many of the members of this Philippian church were probably part of that garrison of soldiers. He says, the peace of God will guard the people's hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the peace of God. Jesus Christ is the one who creates that connection between the God of peace and anxious people like us. And that connection is called the gospel. Paul tells these Christians in verse 6, he says, God's Peace will slay the invader of anxiety and drag him away, but only in Christ. It will not work apart from Christ because death itself is an invader. And the fear of death is the root of all anxiety. 
But God sent his son to slay the invader of death, to drag him out of the world and to bring in God's peace. And based in that great work of grace, we can trust God's peace to do that in our life. See, this text asks basically, Christians, do you want freedom from anxiety? Then dwell on the gospel. Peace is possible with a mind filled up with God's grace. Look with me again at verse 8 and recognize this is Christ. Christ as God incarnate manifests all these attributes. So we could kind of rework verse 8 faithfully to the text to read this. Christ is true. Christ is honorable. Christ is just. Christ is pure. Christ is lovely. Christ is commendable. Christ has all excellence. Christ is worthy of praise. Think about Jesus Christ. Because a mind full of Christ will have little room for anxiety. And Paul was full of Christ. And he called them to imitate what they had heard and seen and received in him. Because what they had heard and seen in Paul was the fruit of God's grace through Jesus Christ. The gospel changed Paul's life. What the Philippians heard and saw in Paul was the result of Jesus changing a selfish, sinful man into a peaceful citizen of heaven. And that is available to you today, my dear anxious flock. If you know Christ already, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, then once again, dwell on Him. Repent of all these other things you dwell on. Take those to God and say, Lord, I've been dwelling on so many things. Would you help me to place my mind on Jesus Christ? And God will answer that. Pray that and see what God has done. And you will have peace. If you do not know Jesus Christ, do you want peace? Do you want to be free from the anxiety that just rips at your heart all the time? The fear of death, the fear of being guilty before a holy God is the root of your anxiety, whether you know it or not. But you can be free in Jesus Christ. The gospel teaches us that Jesus Christ, he lived the life we should have lived before a holy God. Then he died the death we should have died before that just God to pay the penalty for our sins, to purchase our place in heaven, and to bring us back from death itself. All of that is available in Jesus Christ. But even more so, in his resurrection, he destroyed death itself. The Bible tells us for the Christian, death no longer has a sting because Christ has destroyed it. And in taking away the sting of death, the New Testament says the sting of death is fear. You can be free from that fear, stress, and worry forever. You can have all of that. It can be yours by grace through the gospel. Simply forget everything you think you know Christianity is. Forget everything you were taught growing up way back when. Forget everything you think about religion. And simply place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Ask God to show you what it means that Jesus Christ lived, died, and was raised for you. And He will. And do it now. Don't wait. You can be free from stress and anxiety through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, 
as your people, we admit we are often just as stressed and anxious as people who don't know you. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you bring to mind this passage this week when we get stressed? And would you help us, Lord, to take our anxieties to you? Truly to give them up to you in prayer. And then would you help us to think about other things that are good, pure, and true, especially Christ. Oh, Lord, would you give us peace? And then would you help us to take that peace to others for your glory? And we ask you to do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.